What's good, family? It's your boy, Big L, host of the Page Turners Podcast. Here at the Page Turners Podcast, we believe in political education through reading, liberation, one page at a time. As always, our motto is study and fight. This is a bonus episode. So how this works is in the midst of a season, there will be an additional book that we read. That book primarily will go to our Patreons first. They'll get first dibs and they get another number of things that folks get uh, via our Patreon page and our Patreon account. So, you know, that is something that you definitely want to participate in. We want you to participate in. Our Patreon account is Page Turners BTM. Page Turners BTM. What that stands for is Page Turners Boys to Men. Uh, and if you're a member of our Patreon, you'll hear my latest message called The Reason Why We Do the Patreon. So, this is a bonus episode, and in this bonus episode, for this particular season, we are doing We Do This Till We Free Us by Marame Kaba, Abolitionist Organizing and Transforming Justice. It is a phenomenal book with a series of essays, and each bonus episode of The Page Turners, we will be reading a particular episode. This particular episode is essay number three. Essay number three, titled, Yes, We Mean Literally Abolish the police. Yes, we mean literally abolish the police. And I read the New York Times, June 2020. Congressional Democrats want to make it easier to identify and prosecute police misconduct. Joe Biden wants to give police departments $300 million but efforts to solve police violence through liberal reforms like these have failed for nearly a century. Side note, I'm also reading another phenomenal book called Carceral Khan, and it's breaking down how prison reforms from the beginning of prison reforms have not worked. Right, and I'm debating if I want to read Carceral Khan, if I want that to be my season six text. Uh, but Carceral Khan, you can go to Amazon and you can, or not Amazon, God, I'm sorry, jeez, <laughs> I want to go back and delete that out <laughs> so I may edit it out, but nonetheless, Carceral Khan, reading that paragraph just now brought that to my mind, and I read enough. We can't reform the police. The only way to diminish police violence is to reduce contact between the public and the police. 
That's one of my mottos. That's one of my mottos, to minimize police contact. Because police escalate situations. They escalate violence. So, if you minimize contact, you got a better likelihood of not being harmed. And I chuckle not because it's a joke, but I chuckle because of the reality of it. And I read, there is not a single error in the United States history in which the police were not a force of violence against black people. Policing in the South emerged from the slave patrols in the 1700s and the 1800s that caught and returned runaway slaves. In the North, the first municipal police departments in the mid-1800s helped squash labor strikes and riots against rich. Everywhere police have suppressed marginalized populations to protect the status quo. I want to go back just a little bit. I want you to pay attention to that one key part. In the North, the first municipal police departments in the mid-1800s helped to squash labor strikes and riots against the rich. Very important. So when we make the comment, or I make the comment and others, that the police are the enforcement arm of the state, the enforcement arm of capitalism, you understand what I'm saying by understanding that the first municipal police departments in the mid-1800s helped squash labor strikes and riots against the rich. So in the South, they were slave patrols and uh, but in the North, they became used to squash labor strikes and riots against the rich. And I read, so when you see a police officer pressing his knee into a black man's neck until he dies, that's the logical result of policing in America. When a police officer brutalizes a black person, he is doing what he sees as his job. Now, two weeks of nation nationwide protests had led some to call for defunding the police, while others argue that doing so would make us less safe. The first thing to point out is that the police officers do not do what you think they do. And I repeat, they do not do what you think they do. They spend most of their time responding to noise complaints, issuing parking and traffic citations, and dealing with other non-criminal issues. We've been taught to think that they catch the bad guys. They chase bank robbers. They find the serial killers, said Alex Vitell, the coordinator of policing and social justice project at Brooklyn College in an interview with the Jacobin. But this is a big myth, he said. The vast majority of police officers make one felony arrest a year. If they make two, they're cop of the month. We can't simply change their job descriptions to focus on the worst of the criminals, right? That's not what they are set up to do. Second, a safe world is not one in which the police keep black and other marginalized people in check through threats or arrest or incarceration, violence, or death. I've been advocating for the abolition 
of the police for years, regardless of your view on police power, whether you want to get rid of the police or simply to make them less violent. Here's an immediate demand we can all make. Cut the number of police in half and cut their budget in half. Fewer police equals fewer opportunities for them to brutalize and kill people. The idea is gaining traction in Minneapolis, Dallas, Los Angeles, and other cities. History is instructive, not because it offers us a blueprint on how to act in the present, but because it can help us ask better questions for the future. The Lexile Committee undertook the first major investigation to police conduct, misconduct in New York City in 1894. At the time, the most common complaint against the police was about clubbing, the routine bludgeoning of citizens by patrolmen armed with nightsticks or blackjacks. As a historian, Mary, Marilyn Johnson has written, it's fascinating, isn't it? The Wickersham Commission convened to study the criminal justice system and examine the problem of prohibition enforcement, offered a scathing indictment in 1931, including evidence of brutal interrogation strategies. They put the blame on the lack of professionalism among the police. It's fascinating, right? Isn't that very much what we see take place now when we hear about police misconduct in so many areas? that what they do is they blame the misconduct on a lack of training, right? They say, you know, but then when you see so many of these recent events taking place of officers who are trainers, right? Who got years in training of uh, officers, and they're the ones who are committing these heinous, violent acts. And I read, After the 1967 urban uprisings, the Kerner Commission found that police actions were final incidents before the outbreak of violence in 12 of 24 survey disorders. Its report listed a now familiar set of recommendations like working to build community support for law enforcement and reviewing police operations in the ghetto to ensure proper conduct by police officers. Now I want you to hear this again, right? I want to read this part for you one more time. After the 1967 urban uprisings, the Kerner Commission found that police actions were final incidents it was, they were the cherry on top of the proverbial violence that was found in the ghetto. That's crazy. And I read, these commissions didn't stop the violence. They just served as a kind of counterinsurgent function each time police violence led to protests. Calls for similar reforms were tried out in response to the brutal police beating of Rodney King in 1991. And the rebellion that followed. And again, after the killings of Michael Brown and Eric Gardner, the Obama administration's final report of the president's task force of the 21st century policing resulting in procedural tweaks like implicit buying training, 
police community listening sessions, slight alterations of use of force policies, and systems to identify potentially problematic officers early on. Fascinating, isn't it? And I read, but even a member of the task force, Tracy Mears noted in 2017, policing as we know it must be abolished before it can be transformed. Policing as we know it must be abolished before it can be transformed. The philosophy undergirding these reforms is not that more rules will mean less violence, but police officers break rules all the time. Look what has happened over the past few weeks. Police officers slashing tires, shoving old men on camera, and arresting and injuring journalists and protesters. These officers are not worried about repercussions any more than Danny Pantaleo, the former New York City police officers who chokehold led to Eric Garner's death. He waved to the camera filming the incident. He knew that the police union would back him up, and he was right. He stayed on the job for five more years. Five more years after he used an illegal chokehold to kill Eric Gardner. Minneapolis had instituted many of these best practices but failed to remove Derek Chauvin from the force despite 17 misconducts complaints over nearly two decades. I want you to understand that. Okay, that's really important because we often see these these police situations as isolated incidences, right? The isolated things that took place when the reality was, listen, Derek Chauvin from the force, despite 17 misconduct complaints, 17 over a nearly two decades, so look at that, over two decades, he had 17 misconduct complaints, culminating in the entire world watching as he knelt on George Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes. Why on earth would we think the same reforms would work now? We need to change our demands. The surest way of reducing police violence is to reduce the power of the police by cutting budgets and the number of officers. But don't get me wrong, we are not abandoning our communities to violence. We don't want to just close police departments. We want to make them obsolete. We should redirect the billions that now go to police departments toward providing healthcare, housing, education, and good jobs. If we did this, this would be less need for police in the first place. We can build other ways of responding to harms in our society. Trained community care workers could be mental health checks if someone needs help. Towns could use restorative justice models instead of throwing people in prison. What about rape? The current approach hasn't ended it. Think, and that's rape and murder when you talk about abolition are always the two crimes and the two heinous acts that are brought to the surface when we talk about it. But what she's saying here is the current approach isn't working. And I read, in fact, most rapists never see the inside of a courtroom. 
Two-thirds of people who experience sexual violence never report it to anyone. Those who file police reports are often dissatisfied with the response. Additionally, police officers themselves commit sexual assault alarmingly often. A study in 2010 found that sexual misconduct was the second most frequently reported form of police misconduct. In 2015, the Buffalo News found that an officer was caught from sexual misconduct every five days. When people, especially white people, consider a world without the police, they envision a society as violent as our current one, merely without law enforcement, and they shudder. As a society, we have been so indoctrinated with the idea that we solve problems by policing and caging people that many people cannot imagine anything other than prisons and the police as solutions to violence and harm. People like me who want to abolish prisons and police, however, have a vision of a different society built on cooperation between individualism on mutual aid instead of self-preservation. What would the country look like if it had billions of extra dollars to spend on housing, food, and education for all? This change in society won't happen immediately, but the protests show that many people are ready to embrace a different vision of safety and justice. When the streets calm and people suggest once again that we hire more black officers or create more civil review boards, I hope that we remember all the times that those efforts have failed. All the times that those efforts have failed. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Page Turns Podcast. I appreciate you for tuning in as always. I ask that you would head over to our YouTube channel, Page Turners, B-T-M. Like, subscribe, share. You can find this phenomenal podcast on every single <laughs> podcasting platform that you can think of, man. Like, subscribe, share, and please consider donating to our Patreon account. Our Patreon account again is Page Turners BTM. And more importantly, man, support independent black media. I appreciate you guys, man. As always. As always. Take care.